Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. on the dot, dude. The 24th of March, 2021. Uh, It is, what is it, Wednesday? Yeah, man, Wednesday. And uh, I got my value block. What the hell is a value block? Now, if you've been, if you listened to yesterday's show, then you heard the story about Adam Curry podcasting 2.0 and Breeze Tech and the Breeze Wallet, um, all kind of getting in cahoots with each other and and making the world a better place. Honestly, Breeze Tech added a uh, podcasting uh, p- podcasting app to their wallet. It's it's literally getting that easy for them. So now you can stream me sats while listening on your Breeze wallet if you have uh, upgraded the Breeze. As far as I know, it's it's still in test flight, except I heard Adam Curry say yesterday in a tweet that they kind of expected it to come out of test flight mode on iOS and into the general uh, uh, Apple uh, App Store population. Uh, and that was supposed to be yesterday. So I haven't checked because I've been setting up the show. Uh, so it's give, give, it a, give it a go. If it's not in the general population in the App Store on iOS, then um, it's still probably in test flight. And it works fine. It, it actually works really, really well, in fact. Um, this will be the second, second thing that has added that type of functionality. Of course, the first is Sphinx Chat. <clears throat> where you can stream somebody's sats on the value for value model, as Adam Curry likes to say. Who's Adam Curry? He's the father of podcasting, also known as the pod father. He also used to be one of my favorite, uh, oh, what do they call it, VJs when MTV was actually a real thing and they played, you know, music videos you know, back in the freaking 80s and shit like that. Being a child of the 80s, I remember when Adam Curry was like, you know, had like long hair and like he was like, I, it is like either early, like late, mid to late 20s or something like that. It's, yeah, it's, it's weird. You got to go back and just like type in Adam. If you know who Adam Curry is and you didn't know that he was one of MTV's uh, first VJs, then you should, you should duck, duck, go or Google or whatever your search engine is. Adam Curry and MTV and and hit the videos tab or the uh, probably videos, but also the images tab to see that thing, dude. He is a thing of beauty back then, man. Still is. He really still is because what he's doing for the space is absolutely, it's immense. Now, the value block thing. Let's kind of go through what I had to do. Um, my RSS feed was given to me by SoundCloud, which is the host of the audio files for this podcast. So for however long I've been doing this, that's been my RSS feed. And lo and behold, when all this podcasting 2.0 came out, um, they had 
the podcasting, the podcast index and podcast wallet are all part of the podcasting 2.0 ecosystem. It's the project is done by, by Adam Curry and crew and they harvested a whole shit ton of RSS feeds that they could get their hands on simply by scraping all these sites and they put them into the podcasting index. Okay. So now that now with podcast wallet, which again is part of that ecosystem, it's a website where you basically go and claim your RSS feed from podcast index and then add your, like if you're running a full node, you add your lightning nodes pub key and they generate you a new, not a new RSS feed. They generate an XML block that you can add into your existing RSS feed. If your podcasting platform allows you to edit, and this is important, edit your RSS feed and customize it. SoundCloud does not. Okay. So if you're, if you think you're streaming me sats on breeze right now, uh, you're kind of not, not until, um, not until I could figure this one out. Okay. So if you want to stream me sats, start, uh, use a, a Sphinx chat because I'm not getting, uh, people are telling me that they're streaming my, my, uh, my show on, on breeze and I'm not getting anything and that's okay. I just don't want you guys losing like any sats. Hopefully they're bouncing back to you. Hopefully it's like a, a, a failed thing. I'm going to, I got to figure this out, but this, all this, this whole podcasting 2.0 thing is brand new. Okay. It's going to change everything, but it is brand new, which means that we are all on the learning curve yet one more freaking time. And we'll, we, I've got a story about being on the learning curve for other people later on, but let's, let's go ahead and just, just keep that in mind. Okay. I just want to make sure that you guys are not depending on breeze right now to stream me sats because there's still some things for me to actually figure out. I don't know if I'm going to have to uh, change uh, platforms for the RSS to someplace that, or at least add another site. I, I don't know. I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen here. Um, I'm just as confused as a lot of other people are. There are people that are much less confused than I am. If you are one of those less confused people, please reach out. My DMs are open on Twitter. That's at B-E-N-N-D-7-7. Again, on Twitter, B-E-N-N-D-7-7. Um, I do want to go ahead and get off that and start on with the morning roundup here. And I'm going to want to start this one with one of my favorite writers in the space, Obi Nwosu, who generally writes for BTC Times. He's the CEO and co-founder of CoinFloor, which is the UK's longest running Bitcoin exchange, in case you don't know who this guy is. But he's a wonderful author, love reading his stuff, and this one is just as good, and it's called If You Strike Me Down. Quote, you can't win, Darth. If you strike me down, I'll become more powerful than you can possibly imagine. What does Star Wars have in common with the British classic Vanity Fair? Well, on the face of it, not much. The novel is a sardonic sketch of Regency-era English society, while the movies are set, quote, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away with spaceships and lightsabers. But Vanity Fair is famously subtitled, quote, a novel without a hero. 
And that's also the perfect description of the science fiction franchise because although Star Wars has Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Yoda, and of course my near namesake, Obi-Wan, the films are inhabited by something far greater than all these characters, the Force. The heroes are merely vessels for something infinitely more powerful than individuals. And so too Bitcoin, a currency without a hero. No one, not even Sailor, Musk, or Nakamoto is the protagonist in this story. The only constant star in this constellation is Bitcoin itself. I've discussed the irresistible nature of Bitcoin in these pages as well as at numerous industry events. Last year, I spoke at the Value of Bitcoin conference where I recalled the turbulent history of Bitcoin and spoke about how CoinFloor had bucked the trend of most other exchanges and predicted the return of the Bitcoin only. I reprised this talk later in the year at the Magical Crypto VR conference where I again talked about Bitcoin's battles, both internal against Bitcoin Cash and external with other altcoins. Now the final fight is upon us. Like all good trilogies, it promises to be the toughest and most testing yet. We face an all-powerful empire of entrenched interest which doesn't seek to defeat the Rebel Alliance, but seeks to explode an entire star of hope. Those of us who were there at the beginning might not be around to help celebrate the final victory, but we must always remember that the force is far, far greater than any single one of us. Not only have I had any doubt in our eventual victory, I relish and welcome the fight because Bitcoin should struggle against its enemies. If victory came quickly and easily, if governments and rulemakers and investors suddenly saw the light and embraced Bitcoin, how could we have complete confidence that its claims have been thoroughly tested? But as members of Bitcoin's very own resistance, how do we defend against an enemy that wants to destroy our freedom and which can call upon limitless resources to do so? Simple. Use the force, young Skywalker. Not a belief in the supernatural, but the application of Bitcoin's core philosophical principles. One, don't trust, verify. Never just read the headline and walk away. Delve into the detail. Do your own research. Recognize that there is always an agenda. This will shield you from subterfuge. Two, be your own bank. The superpower of Bitcoin is monetary self-sovereignty. Be wary of anyone suggesting that self-custody is not an essential or ideal end state. It may be difficult to overcome a lifelong reliance on third parties to protect your hard-earned savings, but learning to be independent is an essential step in joining the Jedi. Three, virus in numerous. We are legion, bro. <laughs> The philosophy and message of Bitcoin is international, cross-cultural, and intergenerational. The number of supporters, rich and powerful and otherwise, is growing at light speed. One of Bitcoin's greatest ironies is that it supercharges self-reliance, but also grants membership to a global body of Bitcoiners, all sharing the same vision and willing to support the cause in innumerable ways. For education is the most powerful weapon. Yeah, it certainly is. As Nelson Mandela said, no weapon is more powerful than education and no object is as immovable as the truth. The truth of fiat money's 50-year value decline, Bitcoin's 12-year network performance, the historic levels of central bank money printing, and abuses of power perpetrated by the global haves on the have-nots are but a few of the truths becoming clearer and clearer as time and technology progress. Always remember, you are not just a hodler. 
You, my friend, are a Bitcoin Jedi. Bitcoin is the hero of the story, sure, but it needs people who are courageous, idealistic, and passionate, and who are willing to sacrifice to ensure its victory. So never forget how important of a role you play in defeating money's old empire. Again, that was written by Obi Nwosu, CEO of CoinFloor. And as always, I really enjoy reading his stuff. It's, it's, it's amazing because he's right. I mean, this, is, this is actually, honestly, this is kind of more than Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin at this point is sort of a symbol. I mean, it, it's a functional technology and it's got, it's got balls the size of, of mountains. But that does not detach it from the fact that it is a symbol because it's like, what, what is Bitcoin? Well, you might want to ask, what does it represent? Does it represent the, the, the blow-off top of humanity just becoming entirely too, that, be, we, that became so entirely pissed off that, that it invented a way out? That it took a lightsaber and chopped through the very reality of time and space and, and created a fucking door because we're this, we are this put upon. This is bullshit. Everything is bullshit. I mean, in fact, it's such bullshit that you've got one of the largest super cargo carriers stuck in the Suez Canal, which is one of the largest shipping channels that the planet has. And both north and southbound traffic through the Suez Canal from the Gulf of Suez up into the Mediterranean and from the Mediterranean back down to the Gulf of Suez, it's all blocked. I don't know if they've got it unblocked yet, but this son of a bitch had been in there for hours. Now, think about that. When I bought a poster for my wife weeks before her birthday because she wanted it. I bought it off of Amazon. It arrived yesterday. Her birthday was like five weeks ago or something like that. And it just arrived like, the, well, actually more than like a couple of days ago. And it came in Spanish. It was a, it's a logical fallacies poster. So it, it, she kind of wanted it in English so her students could, you know, see it on the wall and be able to understand it because most of her students speak English. No, it comes, comes in Spanish. Where did it come from? Frickin' China, which meant that it probably went through the Suez Canal, most likely, because it didn't go around the Horn of Africa. I know that much. So... Now I got to return it. So I'm, I'm literally printing a shipping label to send a $20 poster back through the mail so that it can get back on a cargo ship, go to the Med, go down the Suez Canal, go around India, and then up into China. <laughs> I mean, it may just go across the Pacific. I don't know. But the point is, is that this is a huge shipping lane. We are so centralized at this point. We, we have literally just carved out all of our futures for a whole bunch of people that have made a shit ton of deals with each other so that they can be, I don't know, rich, powerful, famous, have a, a pat on the back that they, they were able to, to, you know, just in time, do just in time shipping. And this is what we got, an entire shipping lane clogged like the bowels of somebody who's eaten nothing but bread for 15 years straight and nothing's getting through. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing what we've put ourselves through. So when I look at Bitcoin, I see a hell of a lot more than just a tech and I see a hell of a lot more than just a bunch of taco plebs, right? What I see is, is a humanity that's been, that's just fed up and that that fed upness literally spawned or birthed or whatever you want to call it. This thing that we all look at going, holy shit, what have we created? And none of us 
really know what we've created yet. But Elon apparently sees some value in it because now you really can buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. <clears throat> Thomas M says after hearing it in Feb or hinting at it in February, Tesla has now added Bitcoin as a payment option to its online store. Yep, the son of a bitch actually did it. When the firm revealed early last month that it had purchased 1.5 billion worth of Bitcoin to provide more flexibility to further diversify and maximize returns on our cash, it added that we were looking to allow customers to buy its cars using Bitcoin down the line in line with local regulations. Well, the new payment current the new payment option currently appears to only be available in US stores, though not all US store users can select Bitcoin as their payment method possible reason might be that Tesla's website tracks the user's location and either shows or hides the features based on that. Following the discovery by a number of Twitter users, Tesla chief Elon Musk took to Twitter as well, tweeting, quote, you can now buy a Tesla with Bitcoin. Musk further explained that Tesla users only internal and open source, uh, sorry, Musk further explained that Tesla uses only internal and open source software and operates Bitcoin nodes directly. Ballers, dude. Tesla plans to hold the Bitcoin it receives and not convert it to fiat currency. Elon Musk declared himself a supporter of Bitcoin last month. Well, clearly following years of apparent indecisiveness with regard to the asset. So yeah, and there's a good screenshot here of your Model X. And you know, it's like, what is it? Uh, $89,990 is the purchase price. And wants $100 down for it and order with a card. And then there's the button below it that says uh, Bitcoin. And yes, it's the correct color. Yes, Bitcoin B is in the correct angle. That Those are important. And if you don't know why, go to Bitcoin Twitter and ask why the angle of the B is important. Okay. Bitcoin mining piles pressure on struggling chip industry. Andrew Asmakov is writing this one for Decrypt.co. A global shortage of semiconductors is being exacerbated by growing demand from cryptocurrency miners. Oh, they use Bitcoin in the headline and then they start going into fucking cryptocurrency. I just, ah. The added demand from crypto miners is piling pressure on a chip industry that's dealing with multiple crises, quote, from supply constraints to a structural shortage of high-end chips, C.W. Chung head of research at Nomura in Seoul told the Financial Times last year's <clears throat> Bitcoin having not only resulted in Bitcoin miners rewards being cut in half, it also pushed up the mining difficulty, a relative measure that indicates how difficult and time consuming it is to discover new blocks. Coupled with a massive Bitcoin bull run, which earlier this month saw the world's most popular cryptocurrency reach a new all-time high above $61,000, miners are looking to more efficient miners or machines in order to stay competitive. That, in turn, is helping drive up demand for high-end chips. That's the only thing. That's not the only thing it's helping demand for. Low-yield energy in an efficient burn is also being sought. Okay, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. This is just me talking here. It's not. Bitcoin isn't just driving this, okay? What Bitcoin's going to drive is new energy, computer science, engineering, culture, ethics, economics, space exploration, dude, you freaking name it, Bitcoin's going to drive it. Continuing, 
Bitcoin miners aren't the only ones who need chips. Since the start of COVID-19 pandemic, semiconductors have been in short supply because of a surge in demand for personal computers and other electronic devices required to work or study from home. Others of Other affected sectors include the automotive industry, which is in bad shape, dude. Uh, and they're struggling to source enough semiconductors to build its products, as well as TV, smartphones, and game console makers. The result is a perfect storm of supply and demand factors, Neil Campling, media and tech analyst at Mirabad, told The Guardian, quote, basically, this is, there is a new level of demand that can't be kept up with. Everyone is in crisis and, is, and it's getting worse. To make it even more worse, the semiconductor industry has been hit by supply chain disruptions caused by recent winter storms in Texas and a fire at an auto chip plant in Japan. Some Chinese companies, including Huawei, have also decided to stockpile essential radio chips in anticipation of U.S. sanctions. Now, this again is me talking. Remember that big ship I was telling you about in the Suez Canal? Last time this shit happened, it took five days. And it wasn't the Suez, it was something else. It wasn't as big of a shipping channels. It took five days to unfurl that. Meanwhile, all the ships are backing up. In both the Med and in this, uh, the Gulf of Suez, there is massive amounts of ships and they can't get through and they can't go anywhere else. Uh, this, this does not help, guys. This is what happens when you centralize everything under the sun. Cryptocurrency mining is creating additional shortage and boosting the chips the price of chips. The sector is largely dependent on TSMC and Samsung, the two largest chip manufacturers in the world and the main suppliers for such tech giants as Apple and Intel. According to Chung, during the last Bitcoin rally, mining chips accounted for a tenth of TSMC's entire sales. Moreover, miners are increasingly looking to, uh, to more computers and servers and pushing up demand for traditional dynamic random access memory, or DRAM, chips. In the past three months, DRAM prices have gone up by more than 60%. 60%, guys. Combined with the overall chip shortage, it's now anticipated that prices will rise a further 20% in Q2. Dude, steel prices are up. Lumber prices are up. Everything is up. And they're telling us 2% inflation. They are lying to you. Okay, I'm going to, like, I don't even need a tinfoil hat myself right now. Dude, the powers that be have been lying to you since before your parents were born. And in, in cases of people that are, that are my age, they were lying to my grandparents. Stop believing these people. Don't trust them. Please, for the love of God. Now, here's another person that Ethereans can't trust is Beeple, who immediately converted his $53 million of NFT earnings from Ethereum to USD. So he failed twice. <clears throat> well, actually, he won one and, and failed another one. He went from one shitty money to another shitty money instead of converting it to BTC. Well, Liam Frost tells us more about it from Decrypt.co. Upon receiving $53 million worth of Ethereum for his record-breaking NFT art sale, crypto artist Mike Winkleman, a.k.a. Beeple, didn't think twice before swapping the cryptocurrency for traditional bullshit fiat cash. Beeple told The New Yorker, on Monday, that soon after he received his cut of the $69.3 million sale, minus auctioners, fees, and taxes, he became spooked, as the New Yorker described it, by ETH's volatility and immediately converted the whole cash into cold, hard U.S. dollars. I can't believe they said hard dollars. It's not hard. Whatever. Quote, boom, $53 million in my account. 
like what the fuck people recalled recalling the day he received the money in Miami where he flew on a booked private jet to celebrate quote I'm not remotely a crypto purist I was making digital art long before any of this shit and if all this fucking NFT stuff went away tomorrow I would still be making digital art Oh, dude, people's NFT art every day is the first 5,000 days sold at Christie's auction house for a record-breaking $69.3 million on March the 11th. The artwork sparked a bidding war, which saw Tron founder Justin Sun lose out at the last minute to synonymous NFT collector Metacoven, subsequently unmasked as Vignesh Sidrusen. Sorry, dude, didn't mean to butcher your name. Over the past few months, the NFT market has exploded in popularity and stupidity, attracting ever larger sums of money with artists, celebrities, and brands joining the NFT hype train, baby. Just yesterday, Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey sold his first ever tweet as an NFT for $2.9 million. Dude, people just smoked your ass, pal. Unlike traditional cryptocurrency token, well, we don't need to know that. We know that it's all bullshit, but Beeple may have made a fortune from NFT art, but he harbors no illusions as to the current mania for non-fungible tokens. Speaking to Fox News on Sunday, he said that NFT prices are absolutely a bubble. Quote, I absolutely think it's a bubble, to be quite honest. There was a bubble and the bubble burst. Uh, and it wiped out a lot of crap, but it didn't wipe out the internet. And so the technology <clears throat> excuse me, itself is strong enough where I think it's going to outlive that. I don't know, man. This, the whole thing is, is still, in my opinion, ludicrous. But dude, $53 million. Holy shit. And the fact that he literally just market sold that. Well, I don't know if he market sold it. He, it may, there may have been an OTC deal on it. I'm just saying he didn't want to hold Ethereum. Now, he fucked up by not actually just converting it directly to BTC. So we'll see. I'm sure that a Twitter account is going to spawn very soon that's going to track how much money people could have uh, could have had if he had just bought BTC. I, I promise you that's going to happen. Ain't going to be by me. I ain't got time to make no Twitter bot. Now, more Ethereum shit, because <clears throat> Ethereum's high gas fee crisis is not going to be solved by EIP-1559, per a CoinMetrics report. Martin Young tells us about it from Cointelegraph. A report by analytics provider CoinMetrics has delved into the world of shit. I mean, Ethereum transaction fees, noting that they're still at highest ever levels, and even a much-touted approach, uh, approaching network upgrade is unlikely to alleviate that problem. According to Ethereum Gas Report by Coinmetrics, median fees on Ethereum have been consistently over 10 bucks for most of 2021. Comparatively, the average Ethereum transaction fee reached just 570 at the height of the 2017-2018 bull run. It attributed some of this increase to the increase in ETH prices themselves, which will make gas more expensive. Since the beginning of 2021, ETH has surged 125% to current prices, blah, blah, blah. Nobody really cares because if you know anything about Ethereum, you would get out. Different types of transactions require different amounts of gas. A simple ERC-20 token uses much less gas than a complex smart contract operation for an automated market maker, for example. However, it noted that rather than DeFi being the root cause of high gas fees, it is simply more transactions in general. Ethereum transactions are, excuse me, are currently auctioned with those paying more gas, taking minor priority and getting faster transactions than those that would have set a lower gas limit. Yeah, that sounds really familiar. The report noted that the current high fees 
are because the blocks are consistently full, around 95%, and have been since mid-2020 and the DeFi boom. For March 2021, Ethereum blocks have been 97 to 98% full, the research found. Welcome to our world, pal. It explained that miners need to specify which transactions to include when mining new blocks, and each block can only include a limited number of transactions, on average about 160 to 200 due to maximum block size. The report concluded that highly anticipated 1559 network upgrade, which has been designed to change the auction mechanism and burn some of the fees, is unlikely to solve the problem of high gas fees, and only scaling solutions will be the true long-term fix. Coinmetrics explained that the upgrade will only help make fees more predictable as the cause of high fees is the scalability problem. Quote, if Ethereum can only process a few hundred transactions on average per block, there is going to continue to be high fees as long as DAP usage keeps increasing. Gas prices will continue to be high as long as there is high competition for block space. Dude, we were telling them this five years ago or three years ago when, when stuff started taking off for them. And I know a lot of people are really, you know, still pissed off at Andreas Antonopoulos. And honestly, I, I, I kind of can't blame you. Because he was saying, like, Bitcoin was the, actually the only ship that was out battling in the waves, getting inundated by, by weather. And we were all standing on the, on the ship, bailing this shit out constantly. And everybody's pointing at us, saying, look, they, they have full blocks, and they're doing this, and they can't understand this. And it's like, well, all you f motherfuckers are back in port. A ship was meant to sail. It was not meant to sit in port. It may be safe in port, but ships are meant to sail. And whether we like it or not, Ethereum is sailing and they're having, guess what? To battle the same waves, the same weather, and having the same people on the bow of their damn ship doing the exact same thing that we've been doing for fucking years. I'm tired of listening to the bullshit, right? Now, this, this 1559 upgrade, dude, I, I, I doubt it. Even if it happens, I don't think Ethereum's ever going to move to proof of stake. They've already got an internal miner war going on between them themselves and Vitalik. Vitalik is actually scrambling around to find to to rush upgrades so that they can front run miners doing whatever miners are going to do. The miners have invested all this capital expenditure. What do you think they're going to do? They are going to fight. And guess what? They're probably not going to convert. Well, they can't convert over to, to mining BTC because they're all GPU miners. So what are they going to do? They're going to find another chain to mine. And they're going to compete with Ethereum. And Ethereum's going to have to go through the same bullshit. It's, it's the same thing. I don't know, man. I don't think, I don't think anything good is going gonna, is gonna to come of that. Let's see here. What do we have here? We got some FUD from the UK's Financial Conduct Authority warning that young investors are buying crypto for the thrill, says the UK watchdog FCA. Matthew DeSalvo tells us about it from Decrypt.co. The UK's Financial Conduct Authority has warned that young people are taking on big risks trading cryptocurrencies. The FCA conducted research and found that there is a new, younger, more diverse group of investors engaging in high-risk investments. Cryptocurrencies are included in these investments as well as foreign exchange. Younger people are likely getting involved in such trading because of the availability of new apps, the FCA said, and such investors are doing so for the wrong reasons. Okay, that is all you need to know about that. Why? Because this is directed 
demographically targeted FUD. The fear of the legacy system is that they cannot hold on to the youngest of the generations because those are the people that are going to inherit inherit legacy cash. Where are they going to put it? I guarantee you that's why the, that's why the FCA is saying what they're saying and saying young people and I've got that in quotes because it's in quotes. They keep talking about the young, the young, the young. That's why we have public schools so that they can get them while they're young. It's up to the parents to, to, like, if you have to send your kids to public school, then at least you have to deprogram your children when they come home and basically tell them to never listen to anybody in authority except mom and dad. And after 18, that they shouldn't even listen to you, right? I'm just saying, this is targeted, this is demographically targeted FUD. So be careful out there and start watching for this shit and call it out every time that you see it. Um, let's see. I don't want to do that one. Uh, yeah, let's just let's just go ahead and run the numbers. Damn it! I just read through the entire vile statistics part of the show and did not have record set. So I'm going to try this one more damn time. Energy futures. We have oil up 2.23%. Uh, West Texas Intermediate is going to come in at $59 a barrel. Brent North Sea is going to come in at $62 per barrel. That is a 2.14% increase. We have natural gas up just a scant. It's going to come in at $2.5 per thousand cubic feet of that. Gold recovered a little bit. It's at 0.23% to the upside. $1,729 is going to get you an ounce of that. 0.41 to the upside for silver, 0.63 for platinum, 0.27 for copper, and palladium is also up by 0.35%. Let's see here. Dow, oh, oh, sorry, the indices. Dow futures is up 0.39%. S&P futures up 0.42%. NASDAQ futures up 0.8%. And the S&P mini is up 0.6%. All of the bond yields are up, including one of the European bonds on a uh, three-month expiry. Uh, so it's weird to actually see that all the interest rates on bonds up, and yet most of these uh, commodities, metals, and and energies are also all up. So maybe they're you know decoupling, or maybe the entire financial system is crumbling. Why do I say that? Because generally speaking, when bond yields push up, you got a lot of blood in the streets on energy, commodities, metals, stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe the whole thing is crumbling before our eyes. Real money has a different story. With the Tesla news, we have Bitcoin at $56,439.74. Let's see. The 317,000 transactions performed in the last 24 hours gives us right around 13,246 transactions every hour on the hour. Seven or 671,000 BTC sent in that last 24-hour period gives us 27,996 BTC being sent every hour on the hour. And let's see, average transaction value is 2.11 BTC and the median transaction value is 0.016 BTC or about 922 bucks. Block times are still very low, eight minutes and 44 seconds. We have almost a half a BTC being taken in fees on a per block basis and 81 BTC being taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours, which is almost identical to what happened this time yesterday. 
Hash rate had a very tiny drop, probably not even a margin of error. We are at 172 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, and it is at five cents, or actually 5.6 cents. So there you go. We have 35,400 transactions waiting to onboard 84 blocks to clear. We have $1.05 trillion of market capitalization, and that represents 9.33% of gold's full market cap. Uh, it'll cost you one Bitcoin if you want to buy 32.4 ounces of shiny metal rocks. We have 18,662,986.3 BTC in the money supply at this time. There's also 1,165.5 BTC in the Lightning Network representing 65.7 million dollars. And we Clark Moody dashboard is now representing the fact that Lightning Network nodes have topped 10,000 for the first time. Now this actually happened a couple of days ago, but it wasn't until this morning that Clark Moody dashboard has picked it up. 10,012 lightning nodes, y'all. That's 40,517 lightning channels, and the Tor capacity is holding at 55.4%. What does that mean? That means that 55.4% of all the lightning nodes are not being run over ClearNet. They are, in fact, being run over Tor Network. And that ends up being about 4,177 nodes. That's going to do it for Vitals. Let's see if this one takes. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We'll start this one from Omkar Godbull out of Coindesk. Bitcoin transfer worth $806 million might reveal big institutional purchase. Uh, let's see what he's got to say. Digital asset traders and analysts were scrambling on Tuesday to possess or assess a fresh data point extracted from the blockchain. Some $806 million worth of cryptocurrency apparently left uh, apparently transferred earlier in the day off of the Coinbase Exchange's institution-focused unit, Coinbase Pro. The jury is out on what it means. It could be that a large investor or several just completed a fresh round of buying and now are taking the bounty off of the exchange for long-term hodling or other purposes. Or it might be something else more innocuous, such as an internal transfer. According to data provided by the blockchain for uh, analytics firm CryptoQuant, some 14,666 BTC were moved off of the exchange during the early U.S. hours in a number of smaller transactions. The transfer came after Bitcoin prices tumbled on Monday by the most in a month to about 54,000, a level the market hasn't seen for almost two weeks. Two weeks. <laughs> By this, two weeks. This should be a trademark. By Tuesday, the largest cryptocurrency had steadied and was changing hands around 55,000. Quote, the outflow was split into multiple wallets, which could be their hot wallets representing an internal transfer or custodian wallets for institutions. Ki Youngju, uh, CEO of CryptoQuant, told Coindesk. Coinbase's cold wallets for custody are directly integrated with the exchanges over the counter desk. Institutions and large traders typically trade via OTC desk to avoid influencing market price too much. Hence, hence, outflows from Coinbase Pro are often taken to represent institutional demand for Bitcoin. Quote, I think it's likely to be a custodian wallet, which might indicate institutions are still buying the dip, Jew said. It's probably Michael Saylor, honestly. But he added that it was just a speculative guess. 
crypto quant found itself at the center of a controversy last week when one of its blockchain data alerts signaled an apparent transfer of 1.1 billion in Bitcoin onto the Winklevi twins Gemini exchange, possibly indicating, indicating big selling pressure ahead. A backlash resulted on Twitter, of course, with, with some posters arguing the data was mislabeled or misinterpreted. Jew subsequently promised to change the company's procedures to avoid confusion, Coindesk reported, but the episode underscored the hazards associated with reading too much into isolated blockchain data points. While Jew is not sure about the nature of the latest outflow, the crypto community is cheering the data on Twitter. Quote, bullish signal, big BTC outflow from Coinbase Pro, one user tweeted. The exuberant reaction can be explained by the chart below, which I will not read to you, which shows Bitcoin's previous price pullbacks have ended with a pickup in outflows from Coinbase Pro. It remains to be seen if history repeats itself. Bitcoin is currently trading near $55,000, having dropped to a low of 53031 during the Asian hours. So again, what they're saying is that it, dude, it could be good. It might be nothing. However, the, the point, the moral of the story is be careful when you see tweets or people saying that all this stuff got pulled off of Coindesk. Are you, are you sure it got pulled off of Coindesk? I mean, are the analytics really there? I, I honestly kind of hope that they're not there because the better the analytics get, the worse our privacy suffers. Okay, just keep that shit in mind. However, I'm just going to go with bullish, all right? Why not? Because Latin America's first approved Bitcoin ETF is going to raise $90 million to buy BTC. Not crypto, BTC. Following the recent approval of QR Capital's Bitcoin exchange traded fund, the Brazilian company is looking to raise $90 million to buy the Bitcoin needed before trading commences. QR Capital made history after Brazil's Securities and Exchange Commission approved its application for a Bitcoin ETF, becoming the first such in Latin America, the first of such in Latin America. As reported by Crypto Potato, the 100% Bitcoin ETF would trade on the Sao Paulo Stock Exchange B3 under the ticker QBTC11. While trading is scheduled to commence in June of 2021, the company behind the Bitcoin ETF stated that it was aiming to raise 500 million real to uh, acquire Bitcoin, according to a Forbes report. Meanwhile, Fernando Carvalho, founder and CEO of QR Capital, said the company was looking to leverage on B3's 4 million Brazilians who access the stock exchange. For Carvalho, the figure would mean that its Bitcoin ETF would see a surge in demand when trading begins. Also, the QR Capital head said that the firm would purchase Bitcoin in overseas regulated cryptocurrency exchanges. In addition, the ETF would use CME Group's CME CF Bitcoin real-time index to calculate the price. Furthermore, Carvalho stated that BitGo and Coinbase custody would act as custodians for the Bitcoin ETF. Commenting on QR Capital's choice of custodians, Anne-Marie Tierney, a blockchain consultant and former SEC regulator, said that it was ironic that U.S.-based crypto companies would custody a Brazilian Bitcoin ETF while U.S. regulators were yet to approve any. Yeah, that's just a bitch slap, isn't it, CES? For the, for the SEC. Tierney added that with more Bitcoin ETFs getting green-lighted in different jurisdictions, companies in the U.S. seeking similar approval are at a competitive disadvantage. Thank you, SEC. Presently, the Van Eck Bitcoin ETF filing awaits a decision from uh, U.S. Securities and Exchange Commissions, and dude, they ain't the only ones. 
that there's like five on the table at SEC that they're just apparently staring at with their thumbs up their asses. So while Brazil and Canada decides to just run around us dancing while they point and laugh, the SEC is just sitting there with a stack of potential billions of dollars on their table going, Duh. Carvalho also believes that the emergence of Bitcoin ETFs would allow individuals to gain entry into legacy markets and also to invest in the number one crypto asset without worrying about securing their private keys, which you should do, by the way. This is me talking. Always, if you, you can buy the underlying asset right now and you can custody, custody that shit personally right now. You don't need an ETF. What an ETF is good for, however, is for pension funds to be able to buy in big time along with insurance companies and holding company, all kinds of cool shit. But if you can, you don't need an ETF as just a personal pleb, right? You can just buy that shit off of Swan, River Financial, Square, Hoddle Hoddle, uh, there's all manner of places you can get it, okay? So just just hold your own damn keys, please, for the love of God. While Carvalho stated that there was more room for growth in terms of integrating Bitcoin into the legacy capital markets, he expected other countries to approve Bitcoin ETFs. North America received its first Bitcoin ETF back in February of 2021 after Canadian regulators approved the Purpose Bitcoin ETF. And since then, Canada has added not one, but two other Bitcoin ETFs from Evolve Funds Group and CI Global Management. Yeah, three in Canada, now one in Brazil. And they literally are pointing at us and laughing. Now, the one thing that nobody really is laughing at is that FTX is set to secure naming rights to Miami NBA Stadium until 2040. That's a long time, man. That's like 20 years, depending on, you know, when they went, you know, when they actually end it in 2040. So if they end it in, you know, at the end of 2040, it's damn near like 20 straight up years of of it being named FTX. So the uh, let's see who's who's yeah Brian Quarmby is writing this one for Coin Telegraph. FTX reached an agreement with Miami Dade County on a 19-year partnership worth 135 million dollars to name Miami Heat's home stadium the FTX Arena. The cryptocurrency derivatives exchange backed by Almeda Research is set to become the first member of the crypto industry to secure NBA naming rights pending approval from the Miami-Dade County Board of County Commissioners on March the 26th. That is in two days. The deal marks a significant mainstream partnership for a crypto-based platform, which will see FTX tied to the Miami Heat until 2040. And as part of the Miami-Dade County's press release on March the 23rd, FTX CEO Sam Bankman-Fried noted, quote, this opportunity is more than putting our name on an iconic building. It's a chance to provide value to the growing and diverse community in Miami and its surrounding cities, as well as join a championship community, a championship organization, and a championship culture, end quote. According to the Miami Herald, Miami-Dade County will see $90 million from the deal once expenses and payments to the Miami Heat are deducted, with the funds being divided among the 13 county commissioners and directed toward combating gun violence and poverty. Legislation, legislation accounts 20% of the revenue, or sorry, legislation allocates 20% of the revenues to each district equally for payments to programs and organizations that either combat gun violence 
or promote economic prosperity. We'll just give them Bitcoin, man. With the remaining 80% distributed based on each district share of the county's, quote, shooting homicides and shooting incidents, end quote. If the deal is approved, it marks another significant partnership secured by FTX as the crypto exchange has been actively expanding its market reach since launch in 2019. In August of 2020, the crypto exchange acquired Blockfolio for $150 million, a digital asset portfolio tracker with a strong user base of 6 million. Twitter user uh, Litosian.eth summed up the feelings of many by stating the deal was the smartest acquisition in crypto. The exchange has listed an, a variety of tokenized mainstream stocks to attract a broader market. In December, they listed five stocks related to cannabis companies, along with offering traders exposure to Airbnb and pre-IPO derivative contracts. Following the reported controversy surrounding retail investors from Wall Street Bets, that's the Reddit group, and trading platform Robinhood, the exchange listed a R Wall Street Bets index of several assets such Do such as Doge, AMC Entertainment, and GameStop. So there you go, man. And this is happening. This is hopefully they'll have the name, the signs, signage, and all that stuff actually up and on the building before Bitcoin 2021, uh, which is set to to go off at the same time. So that's going to be that's going to be quite a deal, man. I wish I could go, but I'm just not going to fly. I, I, I'm just, and it's not because of COVID. I didn't, haven't liked flying since uh, post 9-11. It used to be fun, used to be adventurous, but now it's just a horrendous pile of, of dog do. Now, Marie Juliet brings us this one from Cointelegraph. And this is that education thing that I was alluding to at the very first of the show. Most asset managers are still in education mode on crypto, says Fidelity. Uh, Michael Darabin, or Durbin, head of Fidelity Institutional, thinks that many wealth managers and financial advisors still lack the requisite in-depth knowledge when it comes to digital assets, whereas some wealth managers are by now sophisticated and comfortable with cryptocurrencies and their underlying tech. He said many others lag behind, and in an interview with Reuters Digital Assets, Reuters Digital Asset Week, Durbin noted, quote, they know what they are doing, and more importantly, their end investor base also knows what they are doing, but the vast majority are still in the education mode, end quote. Fidelity Institutional is a division of Fidelity Investments, whose $9.8 trillion in client assets make it one of the world's top investing managers. It has also been one of the first to take cryptocurrency seriously, launching a subsidiary focused on the new asset class back in fall of 2018. While the knowledge gap remains among financial managers, Durbin stressed that demand for digital assets among larger investors has increased. Tesla and Bank of New York Mellon are just two of the latest household names to venture into the crypto space during the course of a historic bull season for Bitcoin. Over the past year, the top cryptocurrency has soared in value by over sevenfold and was traded as high as $61,200 earlier this month. Back in October of 2020, Fidelity Digital Assets published a report forecasting that heightened institutional interest could expand Bitcoin's market cap by hundreds of billions of dollars in the very near future and argued that portfolio managers could significantly increase their returns by allocating a portion of their holdings to Bitcoin. Okay, increase your returns. 
you can't sell this shit. I mean, like Beeple sold, uh, sold Ethereum into fiat and he should have just bought Bitcoin. And honestly, he should have never held Ethereum in the first fucking place. I'm just saying that if you're in, if you're in, if you're in any of the shit coins, you should get out and go directly to Bitcoin. If you're in fiat and go into Bitcoin, don't think that you're going to sell out and, you know, with, with, you know, sick gains, bro. And then two or three years later, you're basically, you're sitting on a, what Michael Saylor calls a melting ice cube. I call it a flaming dumpster fire. Now, speaking of dumpster fires, BitCloud. I've ta- I told you about it yesterday. It's a scam. Don't get into it. Don't look at it. I'm just, just stay as far away. Now, why would I say such a thing? Because is that investment advice? I don't give a shit anymore. Yes, it's investment advice. I'm trying to save your ass. BitCloud is a scam. How do I know? Because the scam is already unveiling. Coindesk has this one written by Sebastian Sinclair at today. BitCloud's alleged leader hit with a cease and desist by prominent crypto law firm. So they're already getting sued. Well, they're not getting sued. It's just a cease and desist, but the ball is rolling. Brandon Curtis, the product lead for decentralized token exchange Radar Relay, has fired a legal warning shot at the alleged creator of controversial social network BitCloud for using Curtis's likeness without his consent. Anderson Kill PC, oh Jesus, that's not who you want on on against on the other side of the table, dude. The law firm representing Curtis has sent a letter to Nader Al Naji, formally claiming formally claiming the former basis founder breached California civil code. Uh, BitCloud is a social media network that issues creator coins paid for in Bitcoin. Okay, they're taking Bitcoin only, as far as I can tell corresponding to different users. The platform appears to use profiles pulled from Twitter, regardless of whether the Twitter user is actually signed up to BitCloud or not. The cease and desist letter is the latest twist in the odd tale of BitCloud, a controversial project whose founders have gone by pseudonyms. While one of these founders who goes by the handle that diamond hands claims BitCloud offers a new way to monetize a social following, Others have balked at several aspects of the rollout, including the current inability to trade out of the BTC-LT token once it is purchased. Anderson Kill doesn't specify how it tied Al-Naji to BitCloud, only writing that it is a project we understand was launched by you and is under your control. James Prestwich, the founder of decentralized finance startup Suma, acquired by Celo, also claimed that Al-Naji is behind BitCloud, citing, quote, personal knowledge. Coindesk attempted to contact Al-Naji, but did not receive a reply by press time. Quote, it is well established that a person or company cannot knowingly use another's name, voice, signature, photograph, or likeness in any manner for purpose of selling or soliciting purchases the letter reads, ooh, damn. Uh, Curtis's lawyers cite California Civil Code Section 3344, which protects an individual's right to profit from the commercial value of his or her own identity and is established throughout the United States in both statute and common law. Section 1798 of California Civil Code, which was also cited by Anderson Kill, protects an individual's right to privacy in the state. The lawyers also state that any person found in violation of the code is liable to pay either $750 
or actual damages incurred by BitCloud's alleged actions for the unauthorized use of Curtis's identity as well as any profit collected in such actions. Quote, <clears throat> in order for Mr. Curtis to exercise any sort of control over his name, he would need to put his own money into your project or provide personal information, the letter reads, even messaging BitCloud's support team costs BitCloud tokens. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like they're ta holding your name ransom. This is a shakedown. It's extortion. This is actually not only fraud, it's fucking extortion. Dude, this is just so bad. Stay as far away from this as you can. The lawyers argue the only way for Curtis to use BitCloud's site or control his po profile is by buying tokens issued by the platform or by providing his telephone number. Dude, this is terrible. Mr. Curtis has no contractual relationship of any kind with you, nor any desire to form one, the letter reads. As such, the, the lawyers are asking Al-Naji to cease and desist from the unlawful use of Curtis's name and photo. Lawyers are also requesting Al-Naji cease and desist from engaging in any further violation of Curtis's privacy rights. Preston Byrne, one of the lawyers who signed the letter, has previously asked BitCloud to remove his profile on the platform, which the company apparently did. Quote, The right of publicity means an individual should be able to decide how they profit from the commercial value of their likeness and what organizations they collaborate with, said Haley Lennon, another Anderson Kill partner who signed the letter in a statement. Byrne and Lennon are both veterans of the blockchain startup world and members of the technology, media, and distributed systems practice at Anderson Kill, chaired by seasoned litigator Stephen Pally, who also signed the letter. Yeah, you don't want this shit going on. So, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, you've got to be careful out there. Now, this shit kind of happened with Ryan Selkis a long time ago on, uh, what was it, uh, Cryptocurrency Stars or something like that. But not to this degree. I mean, even Ryan Selkis had at least a modicum of, uh, of respect, and it was all tongue-in-cheek. This is a straight-up shakedown of rich people. That's, that's all it is. This is just flat extortion. You need to stay away from it. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah. Uh, Blockchain.com raises $300 million at a $5.2 billion valuation in case you gave shit one about Blockchain.com. I personally don't, but yet it's another freaking company in the space that's raising a shit ton of money. This bull is not over. That's it for the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner brought to you by Dad Says Jokes. My dad just came into my room and poured a whole gallon of milk on me. How dare he? All right, man, you guys have a, an excellent hump day. Now, remember what I said. Um, the Breeze situation is awesome. They're, everything about this I'm in love with. Just like I was totally in love, you know, I'm totally in love with Sphinx Chat and, and the way that we can, you know, possibly get into a situation where you can just stream me value uh, like, and, and I don't ever have, you know, have to go to ads, although I've never gone to ads and I probably never will. But, um, I'm just saying that right now, I'm not sure what's going on with the value block thing. It, I'm, I know it works. It's just, I, I'm trying to figure out 
how like and, and this also may be that I don't have an inbound liquidity uh, channel, which brings me to some which brings me to an interesting point here. Um, I'm gonna get in get into this telegram group. Uh, hold on. No, 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 I don't want you. Ring of Fire or Rings of Fire is a telegram group, and I think you need an invitation. I got one earlier this morning because I, I think here here's what's going on. Because I don't have an inbound liquidity channel, because I haven't really messed with, you know, with lightning outside of like, you know, blue wallet and, you know, and paying stuff out. I really haven't had a, a situation I really needed where I needed to get stuff in. Well, now I do. The, the, I mean, like Adam Curry and Podcasting 2.0 have given me every reason in the world to seek inbound liquidity. And no, I don't want to rent it off of Lightning Pool, although I think Lightning Pool is, is really cool. And if you don't know what that is, it's basically a market where I can bid on uh, paying people to provide me inbound liquidity. But I'm thinking that right now um, that I, I was asking some people, you know, on uh, like through Sphinx Chat and I went over to a social, was it Social Index uh, on Mastodon, which is Adam Curry's group for podcasting 2.0 and started asking around about the possibility of, of is, there any, is there any social pools that we can leverage to see if we can get some people to, to provide inbound liquidity. And it appears that there are already a group of people, you know, about that seem to be around podcasting 2.0, but I'm sure it, it, it moves out further than that. And they're talking about having these different sized rings of lightning channels that we open with each other so that we can start building this thing out so that, especially for podcasters like me, to have that inbound liquidity. Because I think that that's what's going on, honestly. I don't think it's the RSS feed in and of itself. I think what it is, is or, or the fact that I can't edit the RSS feed on SoundCloud, I think what's going on here is that because I don't have an inbound liquidity channel, you can't give me money. So I have to balance. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm in a situation now where I've got to actually go through and find people to, to give me a couple of you know, open channels of inbound. Now I've got one that's pending. Right now I'm looking at, I'm looking at, at Ride the Lightning on my Lightning node and I have a channel you know, incoming, but it's not opened yet because you know, it was okay. It's totally okay with me that the guy picked a lower fee. And we even discussed that. We were like, hey, look, Let's let's start figuring this shit out. We don't have to figure it out all at once. And we don't have to figure it out, you know, for for good because we're all in in you know we're all still learning and we're always going to be learning, right? So I've got an inbound, you know, an inbound channel that's pending. We'll see if it opens. We'll see if that thing gets gets uh, secured on the on Bitcoin's blockchain and I get an open channel and then we'll see what happens after that. But like I said, if if you want to offer me like inbound liquidity through a lightning channel, I, you know, I would be more than, I would be more than appreciative of that. I mean, we got to start building this thing out. We've, I've got, I mean, I've got an out, a good outbound one, but it can't be used because I really don't have an inbound one. I mean, I can use my outbound one, you know, if I'm just paying something off of it, but I, you need both, right? And this is the perfect opportunity. Podcasting 2.0 gives us the perfect reason to get so good at this that we end up re-architecting the world's economic financial system. And with that, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.